Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, I am incredibly stoked on this next guest. I can't even... Just this week has been so crazy and I needed this to happen. I needed this conversation to happen because it is one that I've wanted to have for a really long time. So I would like to welcome Julian Brass. He is the author of Own Your Anxiety, which is now a national best-selling book. Just found that out, which is super awesome. But Julian, there's something really cool that you don't actually know or potentially don't even remember. So a year ago, you wrote wow. me an email, almost yes. like to the day. Uh-huh. And this is what you said. And we've never met. We've never met before. I'm not going to read the whole email. Great. You said, all I can offer you right now is to say that I'm happy to make your acquaintance, to support one another's endeavors, and who knows, maybe even collaborate someday. It's so important to surround ourselves with positive people in the same path in this social media world. With gratitude, Julian. And here we are. It's been a year. Wow. And I remember, I was like, when I, I, it was like, I remember that you emailed me at some point and I was like, oh, I want to go, I want to go find that. I want to go find, as I just, uh, to be honest in social media, it can be very isolating and you often feel like you're a lone ranger in this world. It's very rare that somebody reaches out and says, Hey, like just support what you're doing. I think what you're doing is cool and like happy to meet your acquaintance. And so when I went back and I read that and I looked at the date, I was like, you're kidding a year. I'm so glad you just brought that up. And it's, it's crazy. I actually got kind of emotional because I remember writing it and not having anything other to offer you except for that at that time. You know, I think in life we're all running around, like thinking, what can I give? What can I give? What can I offer? How can I make myself sound important? And I used to have a big media company for almost a decade and I could use that all the time. But in that moment, a year ago, Sarah, I was like, I don't have my media company. My book's not out. Yeah, All I have is me. 
Yeah. And I'm just going to put myself out there and say, I appreciate you. It honestly was so important, especially as a man to a woman, like to feel like you have allies in this world and in this space. It felt really important. And it was like actually a really kind gesture of yours. And it allowed me to start following you and to start connecting with what you were, what you were getting into and to talk about anxiety in a way that went from something I really felt sad and scared about for most of my life. I grew up with my mom and my sister were both diagnosed with anxiety and my mom had depression. And I was the one who didn't have anything. I was the one who got to like, quote unquote, like I was the good one. I got to be the good egg that was their support and their rock. So when I grew up and I went through trauma and was eventually diagnosed with PTSD and anxiety, it was this gutting moment of I'm not good anymore. And I'm not this person anymore. And I don't get to hold that. So when you suddenly have these diagnoses, you start to like cling to anything that kind of makes you feel normal. And I've, I've had it taught to me that, you know, I am not my anxiety. It is a pillar of me and it's something I walk with and journey with, but I don't know that anybody talks about anxiety. Like you talk about anxiety, which is just, it actually makes you feel, I shouldn't say excited to have it, but you, you've channeled it in such a way. So take some time, tell us your story. How did you get from like you said, you, you owned a big company and now you're doing this. You've got this book and you've, you've led this entirely new journey, which is so inspiring, but I'd love for you to tell that story. Sure. Sure. Yeah. A lot of people are, um, craving reinventing themselves, you know, and saying, I really want to do that, but this is who I am. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear around, you know, making these big moves. So I can definitely appreciate that most people listening probably have like that thing they want to do, but they're afraid to do it because, you know, we put ourselves in these boxes. We're like, I'm this person. This is my yeah. career. This or is my- Or people put you in the boxes. And then we often, we often accept that box yes. they put us in. The next yeah. thing you know, 20 years later, we're like, oh, I'm still in that box. That box has become me. But no, it hasn't become you. It's just yeah. the physical you, the you that the outside world sees. Yes. So for me, I started my old business, Notable, which is now called NotableLife.com yep. in 2008. Until then, it sounds very similar to your actual upbringing in the sense that I had zero anxiety mm. ever. And some people in my family did have anxiety and I heard about it, but I never once thought that it affected me. No. I was like the happy kid running around, not a worry in the world, except for like, how much fun can I have? <laughs> can I jump on that swing or Probably go on I love those? being a kid. <laughs> I know it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Right, the older I get, the more I'm thinking, how can I be a kid? And I, I just, you know, I thought, I thought I'm invincible to this stuff. Yeah. And I didn't even, frankly, I didn't really think about it much unless it was around me. Yeah. And then after Living in Cali, working in Silicon Valley for a couple of years, I moved back to Toronto when I, went, when I was 24 and I started up Notable from a little apartment, um, very humble beginning. There wasn't, you know, funders or investors behind me. It didn't have a partner. I didn't have like a big group of advisors or a board. Yeah. It was just me. And I got anxiety out of nowhere. And I suppose looking back, it was all because I had such severe fear of the unknown. Ugh. I was so scared of what the future held. And I'd grown up always being very, very driven to build businesses. I've had random little side businesses since I was eight years old. Like, wow, look actually, at you. You're like, an entrepreneur. Yeah, at heart, I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. When I was eight, that business was actually stress balloons. You're kidding. No. So, like, were they the kind that you fill with like cornstarch and like you can like squeeze them? I would fill them up with the sand of the sandbox at school. Oh my gosh. And buy the, buy the balloon for a quarter from the dollar star. 
and sell them for a couple bucks. And it's funny because now I'm in like the anxiety and stress game. It's hilarious. You manifested this from your <laughs> My eight mom year old out. She's like, you've been doing this forever. But so sweet. yeah, so it's kind of hilarious. So anyway, I, I've always, I've always, since I was young, mm-hmm. been able to sort of fend for myself and mm-hmm. like know how to, you know, make, make money and feel totally independent. Yeah. And then I'm 24 years old and all of a sudden I'm on my own, but I have nothing behind me and I have some real world expenses now. Like I've got yeah. to pay rent and I've got to put food on my table and all that stuff. And I have the status in my mind of someone who's always been known in their friend group as somebody who's figured it out, who's made it, right? Even after I went to Guelph for university, shout out Guelph. Hey, Guelph. I had a great job in Florida doing finance in South Florida. And then I had a great job in Silicon Valley for two years. I never once didn't have something kind of like, cool behind me, but now I'm starting this thing. Yeah. And people were like, what is this idea? It makes no sense. In 2008, people weren't ready for that almost. And I got zero love. If anything, my friends and my family were like, why would you ever leave California to come back here when winter's coming to start this stupid idea? (laughs) And I mean, I'm a little bit with them on the winter thing. (laughs) I know. Today's a cold one. It's cold. And Sarah, it got, it just got ugly quickly and I got really bad anxiety and I started to truly truly fear the current situation, the future situation, all the situations. And I would work hard though. I'd work like 12, 14, 16 hours a day. And then I'd often go off and like blow off steam by partying with, with, with my party friends, doing drugs, drinking alcohol, not sleeping, you know, using espressos to keep me going and keep me alive. Things that are actually kind of normalized in today's society. You have a bad day, you pour a drink. You got it. You're struggling. Yeah, like it's it's very normal and I'm learning more and more and to not channel into those things. So it's funny that you note that because it's it's the numb out of our society yeah, now, whether it really it's is. like TV or whether it's drugs or whether it's alcohol, we're so used to numbing out and then just like relying on, yeah, false substances to create this energy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, and like, it's I like, feel you. It's like we become our own like doctor. We prescribe our medicine of the night or of I the literally, week. Yeah, 100%. And, we've know. all been there. We've all WebMD'd ourselves <laughs> into <laughs> the newest <laughs> supplement that we're going to take. Right. And, and like often that supplement is alcohol or yeah. it's, you know, going to do a bunch of cocaine with your friends yeah. or eating a tub of ice cream or yeah. pizza binging like or Netflix or wh- whatever it is. Yeah. The problem is that we, we get into these these zones where we think like, oh, that's just like my reward for hard work. But the reward that we are rewarding ourselves with is actually taking away from our life, which is the same life that we are working to build. Huh. Good point. Bit of a whoa, right? Bit of a whoa. Yeah. So mine was really bad back in 08. I stumbled into a yoga studio by virtue of having a crush on this girl. And I I asked her out first for dinner. She said, I'm a very selective eater. I don't think it's going to work. I'm like, okay, how about a drink? I don't drink alcohol. I'm like, okay, no, no problem. Coffee? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't do coffee either. Uh, I'm like thinking, what do you do? What do you do? And she's like, listen, I do yoga near where you live uh, every Sunday morning. We can go do yoga and then we can have tea after. In 2008. Uh, that's, yeah, that would have been quite the thing to hear. Right. And just for everyone listening, I'm a like very, very well-trained yoga teacher now. I okay. teach all over the <laughs> yeah. world. I've been training in this for a long time. It's so funny that this is your beginning yeah. is chasing yeah. a girl. In my, <laughs> head, in my head, when she said that, I'm like, yoga is for the biggest losers. No cool guy would ever do yoga. But to impress her, I was like, oh yeah, I love yoga. I love I'll, it. I'll be right there. And it was a pretty horrific experience in that. Horrific how? 90 degree, sorry, 40 oh, degrees, you did, 90 oh. minutes, Bikram. Oh, did you do hot yoga? Yeah. 
Oh, I tried that once. I really, truly thought I was dying. I kept thinking like (laughs) there's something wrong with the room. They've made it too hot. Nobody's talking about it. I'm about to pass out. And I was like, I can't be the one that walks out of this room. So I I kept looking around being like, who else is going to Uh go down with me? I will walk out with you. Like trying to lock eyes with someone like, are we doing this? Are we walking (laughs) out together? Didn't, didn't love it. Yeah, I know. I know. I had, it was a 90 minute class. It it is hard. 89 minutes were were horrific, Mm -hmm. but there was one minute of bliss this euphoria Mm -hmm. that I'd never known before. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I thought to myself, uh, this is amazing. And then recalling that moment shortly after, I thought to myself, these bouts of anxiety, which leads to, you know, me not going outside sometimes Mm -hmm. for a few days at a time, which leads to me being depressed and not talking Mm -hmm. about it. What if that minute that I felt in the studio is something that I can find again and again and again, naturally, just like I did in this studio? And that literally shifted me. And it wasn't an overnight shift, but no, the person who, who you're looking at right now is the person who was a result of that one moment that I felt. Isn't that incredible? It's so important though, too, because it does give you value to the minutes that we live and how valuable they can be. So and, true. and if we're going to just live our lives, like when you actually start to break it down minute to minute and start to look at it at value and the fact that truly one minute of time can potentially change your life mm-hmm. or change your thought process. Uh-huh. It's so What true. a powerful thing. It's so true. So, you know, long story short, because we have so much to get into, that moment put me on that path. And then I became an explorer of my anxiety mm-hmm. and my mental health in general. And I started to really think to myself, okay, what is it that is therefore in my power that I possess that I don't need to keep looking for external things to give me that will allow me to A, not get as bad anxiety in the first place. Yeah. And B, when it happens, learn how to shift the energy that is anxiety from negative into positive, from debilitative into facilitative. Oh. And that's where it got exciting. Yeah. And I love that you said that because I do that sometimes with um, like nerves. Like whenever I'm uh, about to do public speaking, I always get this like this, this terrifying thought. And I learned somewhere along the way that fear and excitement register in the brain the exact same (laughs) way. So whenever I have these like fear moments, when you're about to step out into something that kind of feels unknown, taking that pause to be like, I'm actually excited Uh and I'm fearful because I'm excited Uh and this is scary and I'm excited. And like reminding myself like over and over again, like I'm stepping out with excitement and it kind of feels like fear and that's kind of the fun of it. Uh It means that we care, right? Uh So uh I love that you said that you're able to channel it in that way, which is, that's so powerful. Tell me more. (laughs) Sure. And (laughs) and, and yeah, that's, that's the big message in my book on your anxiety. That's what I'm all about. It's that we are no different than a celebrity athlete or a, or a celebrity performer who goes on stage and performs in front of 20,000 people or goes on the court or the ice and does yes. their thing. We're, yes. we're all humans. Our yeah. DNA is so similar. We are far more similar than we are different, even if we look completely different. Yeah. The makeup of every human is quite similar. So I thought to myself, if these people, these household names can do it, why can't I figure it out? I'm already sort of on the track. I'm starting to see that when I think certain thoughts, eat certain foods, don't do certain things, sleep better, I'm getting way more in the driver's seat of my anxiety. So why can't I learn to just be do it more and do it better? And when that started to happen, that's when life got really exciting. My old business started to flourish for mm. one. It started to flourish. I didn't realize that this all happened coinciding with each other. Yes. I really thought it was like the business and then left and did the anxiety thing. I didn't realize that you were actually 
nursing both. I was hardcore into figuring out how to nurse this while yeah. building that business. Incredible. And that business, notable for anyone who doesn't know it, especially back then, it was really all about being a notable young professional. Mm. So as the founder, I thought I can never tell anybody how afraid I actually am. Yeah. It was a different world back then. You I know? was, I was voted. I had a nomination once in the notable awards and I lost and That's, I had to hold up a sign that says not so notable. <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh my it was gosh. after your year. It was after still, me. Okay. Okay. It was still I hold so no responsibility. <laughs> I'm it, like, it was a humbling moment in my story. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, as you say, I'm like, wait a second. The notable awards. Wait a yeah. second. I don't remember you being not. Okay. Yeah. It's because I no longer own the business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Deal. Good time. So, but I, Deal. I'm very aware of notable and like what they've done. And it's, a, it's a very community binding organization. Right. So really it. cool, really cool kind of stuff that they did. And that's why I thought it was so neat hearing that you were kind of the, like the, the starter of that. It's an amazing community that, 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 you know, I guess I started in 08 mm -hmm. and, and the, the new owners who already had it now for a couple of years have done amazing things to keep growing and fostering. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I can tell you, and I've never thought this before, but I can tell you as we speak, I'm thinking to myself, if only I had the guts and the vulnerability back then that I do now we would have spoken about mental health in a big way. And I would have gotten right behind that in 2011 and been yeah. like, hey guys, you want to know something? I'm fucking scared. Yeah. And I am doing this shit all by myself. 100%. And I wish I had someone I could talk to. Yes. Like I would, I would have done that in a heartbeat. And I'm learning this as we go. It's like, we all have this feeling that everyone else has got it figured out. And I remember saying it on my very first podcast episode, I had no idea that this would even be a success. Like I, I had no idea. I right. thought if one person listens, cool. And I said the line, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyways. And somebody actually wrote it into like a quote and stuff. I didn't realize how many people connected with this like common sentence. And I'm like, none of us truly know, like we have factors of it figured out. And I think that that's so important too, that like, yes, you're somebody who's now really mastering and understanding this stuff about anxiety. And that is like what you're bringing to this puzzle. We all mm -hmm. have these things that we've learned and we've journeyed through. And that becomes like our puzzle piece so that we right. come together as community. We get to experience and learn from each other so much experience that one person can't ever do alone, yeah, which is totally. why it's not a race and it's not a competition. Uh -huh. It's truly like your life experiences and my life experiences and how yours might actually click into mine right. and how mine might click into another's sure. and, and this constant connectivity. I, I love thinking about it that way because it makes me look at humans so differently. It makes me look at mental health so differently. And I love to remind people when they're listening you might not connect with these stories. You might not have anxiety. You might not have these feelings at all, but guaranteed somebody in your life does. And this is going to make us better support people yeah. and better community members when we understand these key little pillars of right. other people. Right. So that's Absolutely. why I find it. Ugh. Yeah. I love that. I My love that. Tangent. Yeah. I like that tangent. I could, yeah. I could stay on that tangent all day, Sarah. <laughs> Hi friends, I'm just going to pause for a quick second to talk to you about one of today's sponsors, Four Sigmatic. So I actually heard about Four Sigmatic from none other than my own mother who had heard about it herself and brought over a box for me. And I kind of ignored it for a little while until one day I ran out of my regular coffee and was in a bind and I had to make some. So I pulled out the Four Sigmatic. It's really easy because they come in these individual pouches and you just put it into hot water. It's a powder. So you just mix it and drink. And let me tell you, I know what you're thinking. It's going to taste like mushrooms because it's a mushroom coffee, but it 
doesn't at all. It tastes like regular coffee. It's sugar-free, it's paleo, it's vegan. It's completely good for you. And it contains some really cool ingredients like lion's mane mushrooms, which have long been used by Buddhist monks to help with focus and meditation, as well as chaga, known as the king of mushrooms, supporting your immune system and has antioxidant properties. Four Sigmatic Coffee also has half the caffeine of regular coffee. So it's really, truly magical. And it also means you don't walk away having those same jittery aftershocks that you do from your normal cup of coffee. And it's a little bit easier on your gut as well. Since they come in easy to use packets, you can take them anywhere. Stash them in your gym bag, your suitcase, wherever you need them to be. And of course, I have a special offer for each of you my papaya podcast listeners, you're going to receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order when you go to foursigmatic.com slash papaya and enter the code papaya at checkout. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash papaya to receive 15% off your order or just use the code papaya at checkout. Now let's get back to the show. I want to move soon into a lot yes. of the book for your viewers and your listeners so that they can really you know, oh, get some book. tools. I'm, I've, I've been, so you've been on tour this week and I've been like watching your lives and like watching you speak. And it's like, it's been such a teaser to getting <laughs> to today because I'm like, I, I literally could talk to you forever about this because it's so, so cool. I'm so excited to dive into your book. Like yeah, I'm, I think it's, going to change the world if it hasn't already. I know, like you've already said, it's a national bestseller, like that's or international. Inter- international bestseller. Like, holy crap. Yeah. We needed this. We, we do. We and the only this. reason that it became an international bestseller right away is not because I'm a celebrity or have no. like the biggest following, you know, no. it's because the world really wants this message. Yeah. So coming back to how you sort of first said what really you, is unique about this message, own your anxiety, Owning not manage, it. not cope, not yeah. beat. It's because of that moment that I shared a few minutes ago about Mm. how all of a sudden I realized, you know what, if I can take that negative debilitative energy and move it into positive and and facilitative energy, and then I can go and be, you know, LeBron James on the court, but Julian Brass in the boardroom Mm. and Julian Brass with my health and Julian Brass with my relationships, but a better Julian Brass than existed at that time. But if I can use that natural source of energy to be the best Julian I can be, then all of a sudden, that is my secret edge. That's my weapon. And frankly, that's what made Notable successful, I believe. Because we were a small little team at the beginning, very, very small, Mm -hmm. but you couldn't hold me down. Because as soon as I tapped into that energy, I was like, okay, like I'm literally unstoppable. But it's because I literally, I mean, this might sound insane to some people listening. I would close my eyes and picture this ball of energy that was really negative and really scary and overpowering. And I would see it shift from that into this positive, loving, natural source of energy. You visualized it. I visualized it. You know, it's funny. A lot of people will ask me, cause I, I work a lot in like the body confidence space. And a lot of people will ask me like, how do you move past those negative thoughts? And for me, it was genuinely a choice that I started making. And I didn't realize that I had that power. And I think that so many of us feel so captive by our thoughts and by our minds that we don't understand how much we have the ability to change them so quickly and what power we have within those moments. And, you know, it really is for me, I visualized it like if this was me and my mind and I closed my eyes and it was somebody talking to me and myself, 
I walked away from it. And so I had the same type of visual type of moment. And I always just thought I was just a very visual person and I needed like a tangible Uh story to kind of put to it. But I'm like, this is what I would teach my kids. If a bully is talking to you, I don't want you to fight them. I don't want you to defend yourself. I want you to walk away Mm -hmm. and I want you to walk away with love. And I want you to to create a new conversation, one that's much kinder. And when I I realized that. that I could do that for myself when talking to myself in the mirror, it truly did change the way that I, that I started to process those thoughts and it did get easier. So when you talk about channeling these things and you've done this like ball of energy thing, does that work for most people? Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, maybe it's, and it might look a little bit differently to each person, but, but it does. The theory does. And Mm. the theory is sort of similar to something you had mentioned about when you would turn your fear into excitement when you're going to public speak. Yeah. One of the things that also really inspired me to write on your anxiety was I was going to public speak. Yeah. And this is far, like long before I was speaking all the time publicly. And I was just presenting an award. It wasn't even like I had only like, my identity wasn't a part of this. It was just, they would say my name and I'm gonna go present the award and that's it. It was some fancy gala. I was so anxious backstage. The host of the show eventually comes back to like make sure I'm ready. And he sees Mm -hmm. me pacing and like chest breathing, like, (laughs) like hypothermia breathing. And he's like, dude, I'll make this story short. It's longer in this in the book, but yeah. he goes, dude, and he grabs me by the shoulder and he goes, there's a dial on your shoulder that you just can't see. And you've set it to negative and nervous. Why would you do that? You're going to go out there in front of 500 people and you're going to be the one who has the control on whether or not you want to give them love and light or give them negativity and nervousness, which you want to do. Oh my gosh. And I'm looking up, he's this big dude. And I'm looking up at him and I'm like, well, yeah, obviously I want the, the, the loving energy, the positive energy. So he goes, all you got to do is adjust your dial, bro. And he hits me so hard on the shoulder, much harder than that yeah. <laughs> and to shock my body. And then he goes like that as if I had a dial and he literally turned it and he looks at me. I look up with a big smile on my face, like, dude, you're ridiculous, but yeah. I like it. Yeah. And he goes, you're all ready, buddy. And I went out there and you see, he broke the place that I was at mentally and physically in that yes. moment, right? He made me laugh and he actually shocked my body. So have you talked to him ever again? No, I don't even know what his name is, but. Damn, I'm dying to know, like, where would he have even thought to to know to do that? Or was that just a moment that was meant for you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah good question. I mean, maybe he was one uh, of my messengers, just like, like my, my old crush in the yoga studio was a messenger. We all have messengers. How'd that work out? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We're, we're still in touch, oh, but cool. uh, just, 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 I, I thank her every now and again yeah, for getting me on this path. Yeah, you have to. Totally. So- the the idea of this this turn your dial thing you know in a sense it's a metaphor for for life really mm. and you know it's a metaphor for sure for the book why is it own your anxiety because if you learn how to own it and take your anxiety as your gift that's mm. telling you either hey listen your life is not the life you truly want mm. or hey the shit you're doing in your life is really affecting your life negatively mm. Then we have an opportunity to listen. I think our anxiety is, in a sense, the most spiritual awakening a person can have. We just get careful telling? about this, but I find that sometimes it's like telling or teaching. Like I find that moments of anxiety in my life have always spiked very high when I need to change something. Right, me too. And it's often an indicator of stress. When I was married before, I kept thinking, if I just fall on the sword for this marriage, then my family stays together, my kids stay in one home. I don't have to worry about what's on the other side of fear, which what, what it would be to look like to wow. walk away. So I kept thinking, if I just hold it together, I get through this, everyone else is okay, I'll just manage. Right. 
until eventually the day came where I wasn't managing anymore. And I, my anxiety was so bad that I couldn't physically get up out of bed. I was sitting on the floor multiple times during the day, just trying to make it through. And that moment of I'm fighting so hard to keep something alive that is so dead. And now it's killing me and it's going to affect my kids in a way. And I need to stop falling on the sword. The same things have happened over and over and over again. When my anxiety gets bad, I'm starting to learn to listen to it. When it's, when it's, when it's peaking, I know like, and I will have like a full blown, I get very symptomatic anxiety. So I don't get like the worry and the stress in the same way. I get an elephant on my chest. Mm. I can barely breathe. And it's frustrating because everyone's like, well, like my husband will look at me and he'll be like, well, what is it? Like, what are you, what are you worried about? Right. I'm like, I don't, I don't have a thing. Can I teach you something right now? Yeah, I would love to. Can I jump in? Okay. Yeah. So I know about that elephant. I usually call it a chihuahua on my chest. (laughs) My little (laughs) Okay. Like literally, I know about your elephant. It could be a big animal or a really, really like snappy little one, but either way, I get it. Okay. Okay. There's something that we can do right away. Everybody listening, every human, as long as you're able to breathe, can actually change that elephant or chihuahua very fast. When it's in the chest, the odds are that a person is breathing into their chest. Instead of where? Instead of into their belly. Okay. And by breathing into the chest from a nervous system perspective, we actually are creating the fight or flight response. Oh. Simply by breathing into our chest. Yes. It's that simple and it's science, okay? However, if we were to breathe into our belly, we activate the relaxation response. So we can literally shift. That's how we shift the energy. I mean, I can sit here and talk about how to, like how you can shift it all day and it's the best thing ever. But unless I give people tools, I'm like, yeah, what is the point? What's the point? So that's one of the greatest tools. It's literally the first of 99 in the book. It is There's 99 really brief 99 tools. simple ways to channel your secret edge. Yeah. And the first Freaking is breathing. Love that. And we call it in the Own Your Anxiety tribe around the world, we call it NTB, nose to belly breathing. And you can literally just shift it by starting to breathe from your nose to your belly. Do that five times, do that 10 times, do it for five minutes, do it for 10 minutes, like whatever it takes. Yes. But know that you possess the tools within you. You were born. It's so cool. You, we, we were born with those tools. Like yeah. that is a, can you imagine how blessed we are? I know. It's actually so cool when you look at it that way. And, but I'm curious, like when we're talking about this and we're talking about the tools of like owning the anxiety, but also at the same time, listening to our anxiety, mm-hmm. how do we start to begin to decipher when it's time to really start listening? Right. Right. Okay. Well, that requires us to be real with ourselves, be vulnerable. That's the hardest thing. <laughs> I've learned it now, but it is... I used to be the person that I couldn't be alone. uh, I didn't want, I had to be around people because then if I was alone, that meant that I had to deal with my own thoughts and they terrified me. So I would rather be with people and out and doing things. And I feel like now we've gotten into society where we have glamorized hustle and busy and we're not very good at being alone with our thoughts. So I'm, I'm interested to hear where this goes. It's so beautiful to see how society has started to repel that Mm -hmm. today more Mm -hmm. than ever, you Mm -hmm. know, how it is like more respected to go and take quiet time to meditate, you know, big corporations now have like the wellness floor. I was at a big accounting firm recently and I was like, this is just fantastic. So, but to your question, we need to say to ourselves when it happens, it's telling me something, right? And it's either telling me that I'm literally out of alignment with my life. So I am so not living the life that I know deep down, I actually am here to live. Mm. And that's a time when we have to be real with ourselves and we have to say, okay, 
What is the vulnerable me saying about this situation? And we can also change the word. Like vulnerable is a beautiful thing. Don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong, vulnerability. But we could also just say like, okay, enough BS. What the F do I really want? Mm-hmm. And most of us kind of know. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. I think we do. And, and and I used to always talk about the fact that I knew who, what I wanted to do when I was a little girl. I knew in a, in a sense of what that was. But as I got older, got really good at shutting her up right. and putting her away in a box and, and just dealing with what everybody else wanted. And, yeah. I, and I find that as I start to explore that, it feels very common that people have this, they know what they want. I think most of us do know what we want. I think the not knowing what we want comes from like the fear of the unknown. Mm, good, good call. On knowing what we want, for anyone listening who doesn't know what they want, I would love to suggest something, a little exercise that I call define your values. Mm. We also speak about that in the book. The reason why we need to define our values is because what about if someone doesn't know what they want or they think they know what they want, but they've like, it's, it's a reactive sort yeah. of thinking what they yeah. want. Oh, I just saw that nice car on the road and it looks really good too. I want it. Oh, right. Very different. I just looked at that picture online and like, I love what he or she's wearing. Yeah. Oh, I want it. Mm-hmm. Right. But what about the quiet self reflective work, pen to paper, mm-hmm. writing down what you truly want and By the way, this is a big idea I'm going to share. What we think we want and what we value are often very different. Wants come and go. Values, those are much more steadfast. They'll stay with us for a long time. Oh. The wants, every season I might want a different shirt. Yeah, true enough. Every three years or four years when my car lease is up or before the lease is even up, I might want a different car. But that's different than values. It's different than my values. Interesting. Right? But we chase the want instead of living with our values. And I read something really interesting the other day. I'm reading the book, 101 Essays That Will Change the Way You Think. Cool, great book. So cool. And in this one essay, it talks about that when we're seeking happiness, we're actually seeking an experience that we've already had, which is oh. why it ends up being so disappointing. And I'm probably misquoting, I don't even care. But it, it made me understand like, you're right. We actually don't know what will make me happy. You're choosing it based on what has in the past made us happy. And we're trying to like channel it into a new thing. But when we try and channel it into a new thing and it's unsuccessful, then we feel like we were just wrong. And that's not what made us happy instead of truly just seeking this, like it, it kind of talked about this whole idea of like living in the moment is not just like some, like some like voodoo crap. Like uh-huh. it actually is like genuinely, we were designed to find our happiness right. that way. We right. weren't designed to like just repeat past experiences of happy. Right. It's so mind blowing when we look at it that way. And I love how you broke it down between, you know, values and wants, because you're right. Like in terms of what I want right now is completely different than what my values are. Right. And how, so when somebody's struggling and not knowing what they want, and now they've broken it down by these things, what could that really look like? Well, First, it's all about putting down what those key values are, whether it's, you know, career or financial or or relationship driven. That can be like your romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. It can be your friend's relationship. It can be whether you're a parent, you know, what parenting is a value. I I would sure hope if you're a parent. Yeah. It can be, you know, what's your lifestyle? Like how often are you traveling? Uh, It can be your health. You know, I want to be healthy. Everyone says I want to be healthy, but what does that actually mean? Do you want the eight pack? Or are you happy without it? Like what if it means not having an eight pack is you're healthy? You got it. But see, most people were fed mm-hmm. to want the eight pack. Yeah. So if you actually don't care about it, mm-hmm. why are you calorie counting every day? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't if you, if you would rather just be a healthy person, healthy does not mean eight pack. In fact, most of the eight packs are not even healthy because they're yeah. not putting the right things in the body. Yeah. But if you want 
the love of yourself. And I know your audience is all about body confidence. If you want to feel that love, you need to define what your values are. Yeah. Otherwise we're chasing a dream that doesn't exist. It's so true. And and I think a lot of this comes down to us being willing to listen to ourselves. And I feel like that's been my big awakening in the last couple of years is being willing to be alone with my thoughts. Because I was like, we talked about healthy. When I lost a hundred pounds, I truly was fed this idea that diet culture sold me, which was if you lose weight and you're thin and small, that's healthy. Like mm. that's a really good sure. thing. And there were healthy aspects to that journey, but that wasn't what gave me health. And at the end, of it, understanding that what was also healthy for me was enjoying pizza with my kids on a Friday night and yeah. then watching a movie and being slow and being still. Oh, so nice. And in those times, like, or days where I was like, it's actually not a good idea for me to work out today. I'm not feeling well and I'm going to rest uh-huh. instead. That is my exercise is doing that. But that's not what I was fed for so long. So a lot of like, when it comes to like freedom, it's, it's so, it to this day is so wild to me that I gained weight and found happiness out Mm -hmm. of that whole thing. Or that like my happiness was never actually found in my body at all. That I ended up finding out that, you know, I've said it millions of times before that it is the least interesting part of me and that I'm, I'm so much more than this body. And this is like this temple in the shell. And yes, I like to dress it up and yes, I like to do that. But coming back to like wants and values. Yeah. I might want a cute outfit. I might want to have cute hair. I might want to do these things, but that isn't me. Those aren't, those are just like different parts of things that might make me happy or have that happy feeling. But that is not my core value. My core values are, are coming down to having that slice of pizza with my kid on a Friday night, because that is an irreplaceable moment. And that is not something I get back. And it mm-hmm. is so worth not mm-hmm. having an eight pack for. Mm-hmm. I, I was like 114 pounds in a size zero and I never had an eight pack. So it's like not happening for me anyways. <laughs> so, but really letting that go and that expectation on right. life and what we've been sold is happy. Right. Because when you look around at the most marketable things, it's hustle makes you happy you know, having a really good, we still, we talk about it all the time. You know, you meet somebody and you're like, what do you do? What do you do for right. a living? Good job will make you happy. Job. Are you getting married? Are you dating? Are you getting married? Are you having kids? Like yeah. it doesn't feel like it's ever quite enough. Uh-huh. And it doesn't feel like you ever really get to be you when society is constantly placing these milestones on your story right. so that it does look like somebody who is, you know, potentially a single mother or, you know, never been married, never had kids whatever it is, doesn't have the career or potentially just really happy working in a very simple type of job. These aren't, these aren't failures. These are actually their personal values and successes coming to light. And we have to stop these standards of what we see as success Uh and start valuing people on like how they're actually living from the inside. Right. 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 And are you living your value? Right. That's it. Like, are you, are you not? And if you're not be bold enough to say, no, I'm not. And if, by the way, if you're not, your anxiety is going to be super sky high. Yeah. And that's when it's time to say, okay, why are you talking to me anxiety? Yeah. What are you trying to tell me? Yeah. And then when we listen and we say, okay, I'm going to make a change. And there's so many examples, Yeah. right? There's the person who has the job that wants to be the entrepreneur. There's the person in the toxic relationship that wants out. There's the person who is, you know, binge eating five nights a week, but yeah. just knows that they are better than that. There's mm-hmm. so many examples. We could go on and on with that. It's the person who decides I'm going to listen and I'm going to act. And I know Mm. it's hard, but we can all make a small, minute improvement every single day. We really can. It's that person who will be on the path of self-evolvement and the path of self-love. There's no greater form of self-love than to actually do what you want, but not on the surface level you, the deep down Mm. you, not the instant gratification you, the future self you, Mm -hmm. right? That is the greatest act of self-love. Society needs to stop talking about like self-love, like, oh, it's my cheat day. Like, 
Like, no, I get it. But why is that self-love? Yeah. Self-love is listening to yourself and mm-hmm. living a life that you want. Mm-hmm. And that's the truest form of freedom. Yes. That's the truest form of happiness mm-hmm. when we're actually living the life that we want. And, and at the same time, understanding that bad times don't have to be bad times, like in the sense of how we look at it. Now I have, I have so much perspective in the sense that like I had so much bad happen and then you come into good and you're like, now I, I cherish that bad so much. And when you have a bad day, I'm like, this is teaching me something. It's going to work in my life and it's changing a thought process or whatever it is. And I think that we have such an ability now to look at life so differently when we don't just view it as, I just want to be happy or I want to be this. And it's like, or good or bad. And we start taking it away from that and going so much deeper and saying like, you know what, this day has been really hard, but looking at it from a different angle of what is it teaching me? Uh What am I coming away with? And this bad day is making me really appreciate the good one that I'm going to have a couple of days later. Once I journey through this in the right way Uh and coming through like, you know, peacekeeping to peacemaking, understanding that you actually have to deal with the dirt and not just sweep it under the rug. That's right. Because that's, that's what right. we do. That's right. And we've been we've been kind of perpetuated into this where, you know, talking about mental health nowadays, it feels a lot more normalized. But I remember saying something one day, I, I, I gave one of my kids a mental health day from school. And they said, how did you get away with that? Like, you have to have a medical reason that your kid doesn't go to school. And I was like, I've never, I just that was more important to me than if they had a cough or a fever, like Uh I would keep them home for that. But if they genuinely need a mental health day, that's important to me. Like I honor that. It kind of woke me up to the fact that like, we're still living in a world that is just slowly opening their eyes to, wow, mental health is really important. And if we want good employees and if we want good people and if we want well-nourished children, that is a pillar of them that is so, that actually affects all other avenues of their life. And they're going to be so much better in their job, in their workplace. But we still haven't seen mental health days become something that is just as normalized, right? I want to see that. You just really inspire me. I've never even heard of a mental health day, but I remember- I literally give my kids them all the time. They have more of those days than anything else. And you know what? And it's, it's, it's such a listening and my kids understand it now. They're so valued that they now know when they ask for it, it is a serious ask. You don't just fuck around with me and you say, I want a mental health day. You need to need it uh-huh. and I will give it to you. Right. And then That's it's beautiful. so, it's so incredible to see what they end up doing because oftentimes it goes, my son asked for one very recently. He, he has a learning disability and he just recently switched schools and he's been wearing this, like he's been wearing it. And he's been so private about it because he doesn't like to upset other people. And he kept kind of like going out on the front porch and having like alone time and all this stuff. And then one morning he just looked at me with his like eyes full of tears. And he said, mom, I need a mental health day. Oh. And I'm like, thank you for advocating right. for yourself. Like, right. thank you for right. telling me. So good. And I expected him to like play video games and do this, this. And he was just like, can I just be with you? Oh and gosh. I was like, of course you can. I'm going to get my hair done. You want to go do that? And he's like, and then my mom ended up stepping in. She was like, I want to take him. So he ended <laughs> he up, a lot of love he, that spent, day. he spent his day in the kitchen making pretzels nice. and that's what he did. And that was his mental health day. And you know what? He's not asked for another one since, Amazing. but I know had we not honored that moment and that day for him, he wouldn't have learned to advocate for himself knowing that like the next week probably would have been really, really, really hard. Uh-huh. And I learned something sure. from him. Like I need to do that too. I need right. to ask for those days too. I, I need to, to honor it just as much. Yeah, we yeah. need to, we need to see I think that your book being like a tipping point, you know, we were just talking about 
how you'd really love to see it in universities and mm-hmm. stuff and, and teaching this from the ground floor, because this is truly life skill. You got it. We go and take courses on how to drive. We take courses for every job we do, but we're just left to be adults and to be humans in this world mm-hmm. without proper tools mm-hmm. to navigate the stuff that's really going it. to make a you difference. And on that, the reason that I actually wrote this book is that after I started to journey super deep into figuring out how to own my anxiety, it happened by the way, when like when I had the ability to journey deep, it only happened because eventually my old business became successful. So now mm. I had the time and the money to yeah. learn from the best in the world. And I traveled far and wide. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, and I cool. would, while I owned and I was the CEO for yeah. most of the time at the company, I was able to bounce around and do yeah. this. But remember, I'm the guy who started and thought I'm never going to be successful. I was on canned tuna, like literally was eating canned tuna. I went to get 40 oh bucks from the gosh. bank and it said, it said negative. Like I'm saying it said negative in like, it's like canned tuna is the, the, the enemy, but the point is I couldn't afford, you know, almost like I couldn't make my rent. Yeah. My bank was in the yeah. red at one point. Mm-hmm. I remember what it was like to not have the ability to do these things. Mm-hmm. So when I was able to start doing these things and start to really shift my relationship with my anxiety and my mental health and yeah. physical health and spiritual health in general, I thought to myself, it's not fair that the world doesn't have access to these tools unless oh, you spend the so, time and the money. This is why the whole wellness industry is so, like it can be so distracting to people in marginalized society groups and stuff because they don't have access. Right. They don't have access right. to the help. They don't have the ability. Not everybody has coverage to go to a therapist. Not everybody has the money to eat well and mm-hmm. to go to yoga classes. You got it. So going back to your idea of a mental health day, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Everyone who's listening, if you don't have the ability to take a whole day off during the Mm -hmm. week, let's just say you just can't do it. And if you do it, it's every now and again. The reason why I have 99 little tips in this book is because we can practice a la carte with these tips. We can say, okay, you know what? I'm going to learn how to give gratitude in five minutes. I'm going to learn how to breathe to my stomach and change my physiology. I'm going to smile even though I don't feel like smiling and I'm going to learn why. You know, I'm going to learn how to pray. It doesn't need to be a religious prayer. It can be a prayer. And it's all about teaching people that your mental health day could also be for two minutes. Yeah. Right. And like, that's all we have time for sometimes. I work with people. I have the great honor of working with people all over the world one-on-one as as an anxiety coach. A lot of them are very high profile people. And one of the things that I've shared is that every time you put your hand on a door handle, Mm -hmm. give gratitude for one thing while you breathe from your nose to your belly. Oh, that small change. You do it. What? 10 times a day. You're holding a door changes everything. So it's these little moments. It's these little moments for ourselves that we can Mm -hmm. sprinkle all throughout the day. There was a, it's funny you say that there was an episode once or not episode, there was a movie, it was Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler. And I think it's called just go with it. And in the movie, Dave Matthews and Nicole Kidman are like this couple. And they do that thing with that. Whenever they say goodbye to each other, they name three things that they love about the other person and they mock it. They mock (laughs) it. It's like supposed to be funny, but it's truly like, it's something that I've started to do in my brain. Like when I say goodbye to my kids, I like think something I really, that was really positive about them. It's channeled goodbyes in a different way, especially with shared custody. It's kind of like, and I've done that so secretly, but then when you channel it like that, I was like, oh, opening doorknobs and thinking about how we can be intentional about that singular moment in a day. I've got another one for you. I was going to say, there's 99 of these. This is insane. So check this out. There is, and the book's broken up into three seconds. I'm own so your, excited. I'm so, I'm so excited too for you. Own your body, own your mind, own your soul. Oh, okay? okay. So let me give you another one like, mm-hmm. on the same idea. There's a tip called do the mirror trick. Mirror? Like mirror a mirror. trick. Okay. Yeah. So 
it was inspired by a real life thing that happened. I was flying to LaGuardia. If anyone knows that flight from Toronto to oh New York, gosh, it's a small plane, though. right? It's terrifying. A small plane. There's rows of one on the left and there's rows of two on the right. Yeah. Often it's very quiet in the morning because there's so many. So to my left and then one seat ahead was this woman. And I was in the row uh, behind to mm-hmm. the right. So I was diagonally looking at her. A very well-dressed woman, probably in her mid forties. As she, we're landing, she takes out her phone, okay? And now we're landed and she's now in selfie mode. And I'm like, oh, is this really well-dressed woman who seems to have it all just going to take a selfie? Or, okay, whatever. Hey, I'm in New yeah, York. Sure, yeah. who am I to judge? Go yeah. for it. But she didn't take a selfie. She started to talk to herself. What? Into her phone. And she started to say, I could hear her lips. They were going, you got this. You got this. You got this. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You Get got out. This. She inspired me. She has no idea who I am. I don't know who she is, but I saw her in that moment and she inspired me to create a little part of the book where it says, do the mirror trick. Uh. And I encourage people that every time they walk by a mirror, yeah. no matter what that reflex thought is, oh, you look tired. Oh, why are you wearing that? Oh, you gained two pounds. <laughs> like whatever the voice says to not end the conversation without a compliment. Oh, I love that. It changes the game. You know what? And people always like, it's like that whole fake it till you make it thing. But sometimes you don't realize, you know, there's that, there's that whole sociology around, or I don't even know if that's the right word, but like smiling. If you like smile, even when you're not happy, you will actually start to generate that. Well, because we create a positive chemical reaction in the mind. It's it's actually so scientific. It's so down to our biology of our bodies, right down to, you know, I say it to my kids all the time because they always like to complain about the cold in the winter. (laughs) And I say, every single time you say it's cold, we all feel it so much more. So let's say something, let's say something positive and then we'll feel that instead. Because it's true. The second you're with somebody and they're like, oh my gosh, my face hurts. You're like, my face hurts. Like, you're right. And we don't realize how much we're spreading that negativity, especially when we do talk to ourselves and we're doing it all the time. And then we're bred into being people's friends and daughters and parents. And we're breeding these thoughts and we don't realize how much they can transfer from human to human and how much that energy can transfer from human to human. When you see somebody and they are so unconventionally beautiful, let's say, and they're like, you got this, you're beautiful. This is your day. Like you're rocking it. All of a sudden you're like, damn, yes, I am. Like, Uh yes, me too. Uh Like there's something about it. And I, and I think that's why it's so important to truly pay attention to our thoughts and be intentional with our thoughts because we do have choice. And it takes the same amount of power and strength to make it a negative or a positive. It does. That's a choice that's available to everyone. Yes. I've often, uh, a couple of times, I shouldn't say often, but a couple of times on my Instagram, I've uh, invited people to not judge any one of themselves for an entire day. Mm. And the feedback I got. That is quite the challenge. People are like, I, I had no idea that I was walking around judging, judging all the time, yeah. others and myself. Yeah. Another one is to show love. Can you show love every single moment yeah. to others and to yourself? To others and it's to these yourself. little things that, that, that really will change our lives. And I'm so grateful just to even be in your presence to hear that you were encouraging your kids at a young age to think like this. That's huge. Like that yeah. will change the world if more people did that. Well, my mom was an ECE teacher and she like did daycare for so many years. And she used to always say that a lot of times kids are sad and they're upset and they're screaming and they're yelling. And you have to remember kids turn into adults. We just learn a different way to scream and yell. (laughs) And 
oftentimes all they want to do is just be heard. And she said, the first thing you got to do is just say, I hear, I hear you. I hear you. Right. That that's valid. Like what you're feeling is valid. And I, and then you go through the next steps because, and that's, it's kind of the same thing. So I, I was so blessed to be raised by somebody who truly honored our thoughts and our mental health in a way that I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of, because again, I was the kid that had, was the good bean. I didn't have the things. And then growing into adult that had the things, understanding how important it was, all these little seeds of things along the way and that support. And, you know, my daughter, she thankfully is so much better now when she was about four or five started having really extreme panic attacks. And I remember feeling just completely helpless and giving her tools. Her big thing was, um, you know, we'd walk through like the name five things you can see and then the four right. things you can touch and like bringing her down into these moments. And then all of a sudden, like hiccups, all of a sudden it was gone and we haven't really seen it again, but it's because she has the tools in place mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be able to deal with those things. She might have, she might still be having them. And the thing is, we're not seeing it anymore because yeah. she's now learned to channel it in an entirely different way. Right. I could talk to you all day. I know. Really, we could. I really could. We could. I want you to talk about this book and yeah. I want you to kind of send us off it's all just so powerful. I think that anybody, if there is like, I don't want to call it a Bible, but if there is something that's going to be a tool, I think workplaces need to give this to their employees. I think that this is going to be truly so game-changing for so many people. Um, kind of share about the book and and what you kind of hope to see it do. Absolutely. So, and I'm so honored to say that a lot of uh, corporations are starting to buy it for their employees. I love that. Huge, huge. Here in, the, in Canada and in the US. Yep. What we give power to, in our lives is what will become bigger and stronger. If we give power to our negative thoughts, if we give power to the things we don't want, if we give power to a disease that we have, if we give power to an illness that we have, if we give power to our anxiety, all we are doing is making the very thing we don't want stronger. And the bigger it gets, the scarier it gets. It can be a little, little, you know, cute chihuahua, or it can be that big elephant, you know? And it depends on how much power we give to that very thing. So people don't want to feel anxious. No. But two things happen. One is when they say they don't want to feel anxious, they are giving power to the thing they don't want. Yes. And secondly, when they say they don't feel want to feel anxious, often they're not actually taking a moment again to say, what are you telling me? There's two things that anxiety is usually telling us, okay? Either it's one, it's very physiological and it's literally our body from a physical standpoint mm-hmm, saying, mm-hmm. change this. It could be, I need more of something or I need less of something. Yeah, It's, you know, sleep, food, drugs, relationships, whatever. It's telling us something. Yeah. And then there's the metaphysical. The metaphysical is a much more value-oriented conversation like we had earlier today. Yeah. So I want to leave everyone understanding that there's two things to explore. Mm-hmm. And that as individuals who are walking around in these brilliant machines that are our bodies and our minds and our souls, there's always something that is being discussed internally. Yes. The question is, are we going to listen? And if we're going to listen, how will we listen? Are we going to listen in the driver's seat? Or are we going to listen in the backseat? Listening in the driver's seat is being a life detective and understanding that anxiety is often our radar. It's an internal clock, an internal alarm saying, hey, something isn't working. Do you go and turn the alarm off or do you find the source of the fire, right? Oh, your anxiety is about finding the source of the fire and then learning how that can elevate our lives 
day to day, but also how we can then shift it with those tools to go out on the basketball court of life Mm -hmm. or on the ice or on the stage of life and thrive. My heart is pounding right now. That was like so powerful. I felt like I was giving a keynote for a second. No, I, I got pretty no excited. that was like, I was literally like, I can feel my heart and I'm just like, holy crap, holy crap. Okay, tell us where to find you. Everyone needs to get to know you really fast and tell us where to buy your book. Thank you. Uh, my Instagram is Julian Brass. So at Julian Brass, J-U-L-I-N-B-R-A-S-S. And the book is available everywhere. You should see it at Indigo right now. And yes. they, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's on my website, julianbrass.com slash book. Yep. It's all over the place. Amazing. Congratulations. And everyone, please take some time to get to know him and get to know this message and these key 99 tools that, that might just change your life until next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the papaya podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would please share it simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.